0: episode 112 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 15th of February, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Howdy. Graham. Hello. And Will. I am here. (laughs) You are here. And it was Valentine's Day yesterday, I'm sure you all remembered and uh, got your significant other relevant presence. Yeah,
1: we drank an extra bottle of
0: wine. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be nice and fresh for this then. So, lots going on in the news over the last couple of weeks. A couple of controversies, shall we say, storms in teacups, maybe. The first one is about the Raspberry Pi. And this is the secret Microsoft repo that was secretly installed, secretly on all Raspberry Pis running Raspberry Pi OS. So this came down as an update, and it added the repo for VS Code to all Pis, including headless ones. And it means an added repo and the GPG key. And that pissed a lot of people off, as you can imagine.
2: So the reason that this got added, and in my opinion, it's a good reason, is that it will allow you to install VS Code very easily, which then will allow you to add things like Platform IO and start building and compiling code and pushing code onto their new microcontroller. And so that kind of makes a lot of sense. But I think this is an example of what happens when your device that was originally, well, I think it's fair to say, originally aimed at the education market, has now become a plaything of the Linux community. And I think that this reaction was inevitable when you think about the, the things that um, maybe Canonical have done in the past in a similar vein have always ended pretty badly. And this went the same way. I think the intention was there, the, the right intentions were there, but it just wasn't um, communicated properly. I've altered the deal. Pray I don't alter it again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Ferdinand, you were very pissed off about this.
2: I
3: was, but you see, I I did warn you, waiting a week, I am now, I don't care as much and have (laughs) just decided to use SaltStack to obliterate that key out of the GPG keyring and remove the repository file. The weird thing was you guys came and said, oh, I can't believe it's on there. And I I didn't know what you were talking about because I checked my pies, and literally because I don't get updates every day, i didn't see it so it came in afterwards and it was a a post install script as part of the Raspberry sysmods package that had it so i mean i i have a bit of a problem with the way they did it like i can understand that they want to use vs code and it works great with the new pi that's coming out but why not have a stub or, uh, or a meta package in the the main repo that is vs code And then that installs the repo and the package. And then you have it. And then, you know, much like if you use something like TeamViewer or something like that, they have a package that you install, which then adds the repo. And then from then on, you've got their repo updates coming in the, the way you'd expect to. But to just kind of foist it onto somebody and, you know, if you were to take this to the extreme, where do I file my GDPR request for Microsoft to delete my IP address? If
0: one was to be picky, which I am not. For the record, (laughs) Alan Pope. (laughs) 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 Yeah, Popey did write a blog post about this, one of his one-a-day blog posts, and uh, he just says, it's uh, it's nothing, it's fine, it's not aimed at us, it's aimed at education, which is a reasonable point, and is why I swapped my Pi out for Ubuntu, which is slower. I I notice it's slower when you're ssh in. there's a lot of latency and stuff there, but you know that's the choice that you get with the Pi.
2: The most frustrating thing for me through this has been the fact that the VS Code remote plugin doesn't work with Raspberry Pi zeros because they're still using the, um, you know, the older um, ARM processors. I think that this would be a good opportunity for Microsoft to fix a bug that a lot of people have hit and a lot of people have asked for and they've said no they're not interested in doing it so i think they could save some face here and do me a favor and fix
1: the remote code plugin for vs code on raspberry pi zeros thank you very much i I think um both you and Failing are right will I, i like firstly vs code is really good it's a Microsoft product, but it's an excellent editor. Loads and loads of people are using it now. If you've not cho- and this is from a, somebody who uses Vim. <laughs> I, I really like VS code. If I need to do something. So your opinion is not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Arduino stuff, you can, you can install the Arduino libraries through the plugin system and you don't have to use the Arduino ID, for example, it does some really cool stuff. And I can totally see where the Raspberry Pi foundation. I've come from, I mean, Eben's kind of response was like, they'd not even considered it. But at the same time, it's a nice little conduit of data for Microsoft, I imagine. And probably part of the discussion, and this is totally me saying this, it could easily be part of the discussions that the foundation has with Microsoft. Um, and yeah, I think I would like the choice as well. I think I would, or at least it to be flagged, with maybe an option to disable it after the effect.
3: If it was a new version of the OS, like, in 11, say, and you knew it was coming as part of the install, that's fine.
0: But midway through, I just find that as a bit weird. Well, I think the big problem that people have here is the seemingly tone-deaf reaction to this. Eben, for example, on Twitter, you mentioned it. He said in reply to someone, sorry, I can't understand why you'd think this was a controversial thing to do. We do this sort of thing all the time without putting out a blog post about how to opt out. And this, to me, speaks to a larger issue with raspberry pi whether it's trading or the foundation the lines are a little bit blurry there sometimes but the raspberry pi organization they put a fella in charge of this distro who had never used linux before what the fuck do you expect to happen like phelim you came up with a solution early on in this conversation of how to do this properly because you have been using linux for 20 odd years simon long has been using it for about three or four years at this point and he's been fucking in charge of a distro that whole time. And he's learned some stuff, and he's a clever fella, but he doesn't have that experience. And that is part of a bigger problem with Raspberry Pi. Linux is a means to an end. Open source is a means to an end, and that end is educating kids about computer science. For them, they're not flying some open source or free software flag. They don't ultimately care that much about that. They will kind of default to open source for pragmatic reasons, And they will use Linux for pragmatic reasons. It is the best operating system to run on ARM hardware like this. But they're not Linux people. They are hardware people and educators, and that is their mission. And so shit like this is just to be expected. I think the problem there is that sort of
3: tone-deafness. Like, how far does it stretch to other areas of the OS, like security wise and things? I mean, I've never done an audit of any of it. Does it make you think again if you want to install it again? I mean, obviously, you've changed some of your Pies over. Is it enough to overcome my inertia of redoing a few, or maybe I'll throw it on a few other ones? Like, has
0: it kind of spoiled it a bit for you? I don't know. Well, for me, it was sort of the last straw, really. I've seen some other decisions that I wouldn't necessarily agree with in Raspberry Pi OS and Raspberry and before it. And apart from it being slightly slower, which I ultimately don't really care about, I'm happier on Ubuntu, because that's what all my other boxes are running, underneath at least, is Ubuntu, and so I'd rather know, okay, the new kernel comes out, it's time to reboot and all that, and just have them all sort of in sync. So I'm happy to move away from it and leave it for the people who want to use it. But that's the thing, you have the choice with the Pi, you don't have to use Raspberry Pi OS, thankfully.
1: But we've already said, I don't think it's the Raspberry Pi's main foundation's mission, really. Um, and I respect that if they're, they're focusing on education and on spreading the, the, the message that they want to spread. I do hope that this makes them slightly reconsider their approach to doing things like this in the future. And I think we can only hope that they do that by, you know, having an open conversation and not being too judgmental about things like this.
0: I don't think that that's going to happen though, Graham. I think that they have just sort of put their walls up, oh, it's anti-Microsoft hate and you know, just thinking that it's this minority of Linux users, which it is. It's a vocal minority of people who've pointed this out to them. But it's not necessarily just about Microsoft and the history that we have there, the checkered history, shall we say. It's about doing something that Linux distros haven't done traditionally and arguably shouldn't do and should know better than to do. And they, I don't think, will learn anything from this. And that, is the sad part about it. But VS
2: Code is ultimately an open-source project, so why should any one open-source project be allowed to have their repos added to a Raspberry Pi,
0: but VS Code not because it's owned by Microsoft? Because it's about the change. It's about changing the distro from under people who are using it without telling them. It's adding a repo. Even if you added any other repo... It's not on to just do that, or it's not the traditional way to do it. Let's say to just add a repo without telling anyone.
2: Ubuntu will disable repos without telling you when you do a dist
0: upgrade. So I mean that's fine. No, it doesn't. It's not without telling you though. It tells you when you do it. No, fair. Tells you these these will be disabled, and that's the thing. It's not just something that happens with unattended upgrades installed, whereas this did. And that's the issue that people have with it. It was done silently, as if people just wouldn't care. And most people don't. Most people who use the Raspberry Pi don't give a shit, but a few people do. And that's the issue here. It's, it's not that it's Microsoft. It's just that they did something that traditionally you haven't done. I, I, I want to say something that you shouldn't do, but that's a matter of opinion. But it's something that traditionally has not been done. It's not expected of a Linux distro to do this.
2: I disagree. I think this is entirely because it's Microsoft and everything else comes secondary to that.
3: I don't know. I think any company, any big third-party company should be equally scorned for being added like that, I think.
0: I don't think it's necessarily about a big company. If you added just another repo of, I don't know, like VLC's own repos, just some random open-source project... That still wouldn't be on as far as I'm concerned. It's not the done thing to do without telling you that you're going to do it. It's not so much what they did, it's how they did it that I think is the problem here. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Datadog, the unified monitoring and analytics platform for comprehensive visibility into cloud, hybrid, and multi-cloud environments. Quickly analyze the performance of your Linux servers in real time, with customizable dashboards and troubleshoot Linux issues in seconds, with a unified view of your metrics, traces, and logs all in one place. With integrations for over 400 technologies, you can even use Datadog to monitor key Linux source metrics alongside data from the rest of your stack to get full visibility into the health and performance of your entire infrastructure. Start your Datadog trial today by visiting datadog.com. Slash Late Night Linux, start your free trial, create one dashboard, and you'll get a free Datadog T-shirt. That's Datadog.com/Slash Late Night Linux. The other big controversy of the last couple of weeks came from a tweet by uh Cyber Anthony, is his username, uh, at Luca Bongioni. What the fuck at Microsoft at Ubuntu, and then it's a screenshot of Dane Redman who is Enterprise Development at Ubuntu, sending him a message on LinkedIn saying, Hi, Luca, I saw that you spun up an Ubuntu image in Azure. I'll be your point of contact for anything Ubuntu-related in the enterprise. Was there a project you were currently looking into Ubuntu for? Best, Dane. And he looks like quite a fresh-faced young chap in a suit in his photo. And this has understandably caused quite the kerfuffle. Azure Clippy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it goes on to say, three hours ago I spun up an Ubuntu 18.04 image on Azure with a corporate subscription. Now I get spammed over a non-corporate channel by Ubuntu. What the fuck is happening here? Why Microsoft forwarded to Ubuntu that I spun a new VM? So it's not even via Azure or whatever. It turns out that Azure's terms of service say that they can and will share details with their partners who have images on their cloud infrastructure. It's not a good look for either of them, is it, really, for Azure or Ubuntu. Canonical came out and said, well, he's new, but ultimately we didn't do anything wrong. No, your beef is with your hosting provider there.
3: You've signed up to your Azure Clouds. That's what you get.
2: (laughs) I think this is really poor taste. When I worked at Canonical, one of the mantras was to try and do things in a considered and intelligent way and think about the way that things are done and make sure that they're done in a classy manner. And this is just the opposite of that. Um, It just seems very blunt and a little bit creepy about how a Microsoft owned service in LinkedIn is able to be quite easily tied to the email address. Well, I suppose it is easy to tie email addresses together, but you know what I mean? It's a little bit worrying how easy it is to go from one service to the other. Seemingly, Unconnected, I'll spin up a machine in Azure should not mean that I get an email in LinkedIn. In this case, I think an email to his, you know, an actual email to his email address would have been understandable. Uh, a message on LinkedIn just seems weird, and uh,
1: I don't like it at all. Maybe what canonical should do is change the message of the day on their little image. <laughs> <laughs> So a quick mention
0: for this. Martin Wimpress, friend of the show, he has left Canonical. So he's no longer the Ubuntu desktop lead. So now Will you're no longer the the last one. Now you're two two leads ago for that job.
2: Yeah. Oh, and Martin wasn't just the desktop lead. He was leading the Snapcraft um, effort. He was leading a lot of the community work along with Poppy. Yeah, he had many hats. I think he probably had about four jobs at Canonical at any one time. And if there was ever anybody who was the right person to be the manager of the desktop team, it was Martin. And it's a real shame. And Canonical and Ubuntu are are going to be worse off without him there. Um It's very sad. But... The benefit is that uh, he'll still be working on Mate and he'll still be involved in very heavily in the in the Mate community. So all is not lost. But it's uh, it's a shame for my friends in the desktop team who will no doubt miss him very much.
0: Yeah, Ubuntu Mate, of course, will continue with him at the helm. He might even have more time for that now because he was very stretched, wasn't he? I think he was doing robotics and all sorts of stuff over at Canonical. But now he's joined Slim.ai, which, I mean... I tried to understand what they do. It seems to be something to do with making containers more efficient. Some, I, I don't know, whatever. Um, and they've got quite a lot of VC money. So all I can say is good on him. They obviously made him a decent offer. And, you know, it sounds like he'll probably have more time for doing community stuff as well. Because I think he's going to have just one role over there rather than the four or five that he did with Canonical. So good on him. And yeah, it's a shame, but I'm sure that um, it's not just about the leader, is it? It It's about the team. And when you left, Will, you knew you were leaving a good team behind and you knew that Martin would step up and do a good job of managing them. And it is ultimately them that do the work. He just was coordinating it all. And as long as you get someone who's good at management to do that job, as long as you've got that decent team still in place, I'm not worried about the, the future of the Ubuntu desktop somehow. LibreOffice 7.1 has been released, and this is the first time they're using this Community Edition moniker for it. Ultimately, there is no difference here. It's just a name, as Mike Saunders said. But this is an attempt by the Document Foundation to get companies who are using LibreOffice to go for paid, supported methods of obtaining it rather than just downloading the what is now Community Edition. This caused quite a lot of kerfuffle when it was first discussed for the 7.0 release. But this time around, it seems to have caused less trouble because people have got used to the idea now, I think. Yeah, I mean, Mike says it's just a name
3: change. Um, Like, whether the enterprise term is helping them to market it better in companies and it doesn't actually change, then I don't really care. Like, at least it's not light or... You know, one of those types of names. Um, and some of the stuff that they put into this version looks really quite cool, especially some of the syntax diagram stuff that they did and the style inspector for a person like me who absolutely can't stand using a spreadsheet or using a word processor. You know, thing, tools like that that help you out, it's nice. So when I do I actually have to use them, and the, the video that I watched that walk through all of them looks good. So yeah. Hopefully it's a good release and hopefully
0: it still keeps going.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I wouldn't trust Mike.
0: (laughs) Don't trust anyone who uh, jumped ship before Brexit, eh? (laughs) Could it be that calling it the community edition will just put companies off completely, though? And instead of shepherding them towards these paid-for supported versions, they're just going to say, oh, no, that's a community thing. That's not serious business. We'll just go with Microsoft.
1: I think you may be right. I don't like it. I think it—it's already a muddled name. It's a muddled brand. They're fighting OpenOffice.org, and it just adds just another layer to that. Um, but at the same time, I'd like to give them the freedom to experiment with different kind of branding and different kind of angles, and maybe it works, and they've got some insight that I don't have. Mm. But for me, it doesn't work.
0: Okay. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com/slash late night Linux to get started with a hundred dollars free credit. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing enterprise infrastructure, Linode offers simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions that allow you to take your project to the next level. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines and develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and more easily. Linode has 11 global data centers and provides 24-7, 365 human support with no tiers or handoffs regardless of your plan size. In addition to shared and dedicated compute instances, you can use your $100 credit on S3-compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes, and more. Let us know about the projects you've been using Linode for, and we might mention them on the show. I recently moved our website over to Linode, and I'm really happy with it. So go to linode.com slash late-night Linux and click on the Create Free Account button to get started. That's linode.com slash late-night Linux. Something that I saw go by and didn't pay much attention to until one of you guys linked it in our private group was accused murderer wins right to check source code of DNA testing kit used by police.
1: Yeah, so this this is the story I'm reading from the register now of of attorneys defending Corey Pickett. And basically, the DNA testing kit that was used to propose his guilt or whatever the right terminology might be, is is proprietary. And it's based on a a closed algorithm that's had many years of research, apparently. Um, but of course somebody's freedom depends on the veracity of this algorithm. And so the defense want the right to access the code, which apparently is in, is it math lab? I can't remember now. It's a, it's like thousands of lines of technical geekery math lab code. Um, but it is really interesting, not only because from our open source perspective, because we in our private channel discussed the the effect of this the the proprietary code has on cameras and and digital videos and that kind of stuff and i do think we should have the right for the code to be visible and for us to, and and for for people accused of something and being found guilty of something because of code to be able to be able to scrutinize that code and make sure that it's right
3: i think one of the telling quotes was mark pearl the guy who owns the company who said um he argued against allowing them access was says it consists of 170,000 lines of MATLAB code is so dense it would take eight and a half years to review at a rate of 10 lines an hour and we're supposed to believe there's no bugs in that then yeah it's terrifying Uh, especially with things like machine learning and stuff where you don't know how they work because you've trained it with a model and it's based on how well the model works I mean I don't know what's going on in the MATLAB code it's probably not that but you really
0: should have access to these things if they're going to hold people's lives in their hands. Yeah, especially in America where it literally is people's lives, not just life in prison, but like actual execution.
1: But ultimately, there's not a solution to this because nobody can review that amount of code. You can't prove it even if you do. I don't know, maybe it comes down to expert witnesses and having more than one test, you know, five different algorithms. But A really good article for people who might want to look into this
3: in the sense of when they were creating the Raspberry Pi camera, I found that fascinating to see how they actually create that image from that sensor. And that'll tell you all about how none of these things are black and white. It's uh (laughs) very, yeah, you know how it interprets the data in even creating a photo of a scene that you can see now. And then it's going to go on and interpret like DNA results and stuff like that, which is probably
1: more complicated yeah it's crazy yeah and then deep fake dna results that have been you know mm. engineered to look absolutely accurate but of course aren't this crazy digital world we need to get back to analog analog synthesizers
0: <laughs> 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 quick mention for new pipe 0.20.10 which has been released new pipe if you don't know is the way to watch youtube videos on android it's what i use every day And I love it. And they've added a sepia search for Peertube. Uh, I don't really use Peertube with it. I just use YouTube. It does a lot more than YouTube. Obviously, you can do SoundCloud and a bunch of other services. But the big improvement here is chapters for YouTube, finally. Chapters have been around for quite a while now. You just put it in the description and get timestamps. People have asked us to do it for this show, but I'm too lazy. So fuck you. (laughs) But uh, some of the videos that I watch have chapters, and it is quite handy. So it's good to see that they're keeping up with that. Uh, feature and yeah, new pipe. I can never say enough good things about it. Yeah, it's excellent. And something you put in, Feilim K nine Mail is looking for funding. Yeah, they're hoping to get a
3: thousand dollars per week um, to help support the project because they want to spend more time actually on it, and they realise that they're far behind on certain features that every Android version changes, notifications and API versions, and they just love to spend more time getting it up to scratch and uh, it's my mail client on my phone, so I would like them to be uh, still there next year. (laughs) What, you're not
2: using Gmail? I'm I'm not, (laughs) strangely enough. (laughs) Speaking of Gmail, there was a developer on Twitter this week, and I can't remember off the top of my head what game it was, but I think it was Terraria or something like that was working on a Stadia version of his game. And for whatever reason, Google cut him off from his Google account. So he was saying that 15 years or whatever of Gmail, gone. All of his Stadia developer accounts, gone. Nobody from Google was replying to the help um, support emails. You go on the forums and try and get help there, and it's all just other idiots offering stupid answers Uh, and so he said that um that the the development of that game for stadia was cancelled because he couldn't get to his gmail um yeah interesting point so i have downloaded all my gmail to mbox format this week yeah it was terraria
0: official on twitter tweeted at youtube creators and at team youtube our youtube account was recently disabled can we dm you for support and then uh yeah that didn't go very well after that it seems (laughs) And uh so yeah, Andrew Spinks said, I absolutely have not done anything to violate your terms of service, so I can take this no other way than you deciding to burn this bridge, consider it burnt, Terraria for Google Stadia is cancelled, my company will no longer support any of your platforms going forward. So yeah, bit of a blow for Stadia, which had another blow. We talked about this on two and a half admits, so we don't have to talk too much about it, but uh they closed their internal game studios. There had a couple of them. So now, instead of making their own games, they're relying on third-party games, and people are just saying, oh, doom, gloom, this is the end of Stadia, as we all knew was going to happen.
2: I think relying on third parties is the right way to go. You can't really scale a gaming platform on all internal games. Um, but equally, I don't get the purpose of
0: Stadia, so I don't care. Fuck them. <laughs> Killed by Google.com. Yep. It was supposed to be great news for Linux gaming though, wasn't it? Because Stadia is obviously all running on Linux and if they got games working on it, then they would have to get them working on Linux, which would mean improvements for the rest of us. But it does look increasingly like it's just going the way of all the killed by Google stuff. Okay, this episode is sponsored by EntroWare. Go to EntroWare.com. EntroWare sells computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They've got a range of desktops, laptops and servers and most parts are configurable so you can pick the CPU, RAM and storage that's right for you. If you can't find exactly what you want, then do contact them and they'll work with you on a bespoke solution that's perfect for your needs. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy and Spain and if you do buy one of their machines, there's a little drop down at checkout and you can select late night Linux so they'll know that we sent you. So go to introaware.com for all your Linux computing needs. On to a bit of admin then, and first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon, it really is appreciated. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support, and remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed, and you can go to latenightlinux.com slash contact for ways to get in touch with us. A quick update on the FosTalk Live situation, we've had quite a lot of feedback from people, Still thinking about it, we're going to have something of a meeting with the uh what I call the Fostalk live players that's the telegram group name uh, the people who have been involved with it before we need to decide I want all of their input all of you guys and whoever turns up to this meeting so hopefully by the time we record next in a couple of weeks we'll have some sort of update for you but um it's you know it's a big task putting something like this together so stay tuned. I think it's increasingly looking like video though so uh, a win for people there. I don't know we'll see what happens. And come to the next community mumble get together on the 26th of February. That's Friday night again at 10pm UK time. Details at latenightlinux.com slash mumble. Recording of the one before last, whatever, recording of one of them is in the Late Night Linux extra feed. So do check that out. We might change the date in future, but uh, don't worry about that for now. The next one is Friday night, 10pm as usual. Right, quick KDE corner before we get out of here then. Uh, The first one is make a KDE theme with no code, just lots of time in GIMP, seemingly. Yes, and I don't understand any of it or how he does it, but it's magic and it's graphical, and
3: if anybody who can do that stuff always want to know how to do it, yeah, it's quite cool, and there's
0: two videos so far, so uh, well worth the watch. And we're going to see Plasma 5.21 this week then. Yeah, probably tomorrow. Um, I got a load of
3: frameworks updates which i didn't do today considering i thought i might break my machine so i left it out for 24 hours um yeah i can't wait. that's going to be a really good release um a lot of cool stuff coming new app launcher new team um all the new sysmon stuff is coming in and uh, new firewall gui um and there's a load of whaling stuff coming in i don't think it'll work for me with multi-monitors and one of them in a weird direction but uh, it's definitely on the way and uh, look forward to switching over to Wayland
0: eventually. Is it going to change my wallpaper randomly again?
3: No, I'm not sure actually. Uh, it, it's I think it's every second or third of, uh, half release or
0: so that does that. I'm not sure if they're doing it this one. Oh, the excitement. I didn't like that. Suddenly my wallpaper was different after an update. It's still there. It's still available. I know, but like if I've chosen it even if it's default they shouldn't fucking change it I don't like that well mine doesn't change mine's all grey you'd love it almost should be black but for some reason on this one I decided to leave it with the beautiful default wallpaper and it just seems to have changed it to whatever the new default is so whatever all right uh, Kate color picker and project tools
3: yeah there's a color picker tool that's in in the next version that's coming out which is really handy if you're doing web stuff and you don't know hex codes off the top of your head like some sort of weirdo I mean who wouldn't uh, but it buries them in the code which is very handy for web dev stuff and things like that so that's quite nice um, and they're working on the project integration tool which was always a bit kind of leaving a dot file in the directory to get it to work so they're trying to try and make that better and uh, they've allowed the ability to switch branches and gist directly in kate now as well and they're trying to help with the language server project as well um, and a new website and what's this checksums are important I thought this was interesting in light of the things like the solar winds and all that. That one of the developers of K My Money noticed a slight checksum change in his code, and he walks through how he found what the difference was. It was all down to uh Tickle, the uh, programming library that allows you to kind of script within applications, Um and he noticed that it was actually a comment field had changed. He doesn't know what the comment change is, but it, it was a. Uh, all the way down to one zip file. But I just thought if only other projects maybe did this, or large projects rather, we wouldn't have a massive
0: hack about the place in supply chains. <clears throat> Fair enough. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll be covering your feedback and some other stuff. But until then, I've been John. I've been Phantom. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.